All right. Well, good morning, church, and uh, welcome to Lakeview Community Church. Our kids are going to be dismissed at this point to get to our uh, kids' classes, Lakeview Kids uh, Ministry, and um, special welcome to you if you are here as a visitor or guest here for the first time. We're so glad you are here, and I trust that you feel welcomed. Um, You should have got a bulletin on your way in, and it's got some more information about things that are coming up. And if you would like any more information, there's also a Connect card. You can fill that out and uh, return it to one of our greeters at the front desk, and they'll be happy to just give you any information that would be helpful. And um, also put a Lakeview coffee cup in your hands. Uh, So, um, you know what? We didn't get a chance to say hello to each other, and uh, so let's just take a moment. I know some of you love this part of the service. Others of you hate it, but we're going to (laughs) just... Force it on you. So uh, turn and say hello to someone nearby just for a moment. I'm glad we got that out of the way because this morning would have felt incomplete if we missed that somehow. And uh, the danger is once you start the greeting, it can become like the never-ending thing. So we'll continue saying hello after the service is over, over coffee and bagels. Uh, but for right now, let's just, uh, let's just pray again as we open up God's Word this morning. Lord, thank you for, for today. Lord, you've given us another day. Uh, Lord, we... we, we walk into this day, Lord, with gratitude, Uh, Lord, with expectation. Lord, we walk into this room, Lord, meeting together with God's people, Um, Lord. uh, And we're needy, Lord, just as much as we needed physical food this morning, Lord, we do, uh, Lord, um, live every day um, on your living bread, Lord, on your living word, And uh, Lord, there's stuff going on in our world, there's stuff going on in our lives, there's stuff going on in our hearts, and and so we just bring it before you. Uh, Lord, we pray that as we open up your word, Lord, we want to do that, expecting to hear from you. Um, Lord, eager to hear from you. Lord, we pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would meet each of us here, um, Lord, and that you would uh, meet us in a very personal way. Uh, Lord, that your will would be done, that you would just uh, draw out um, more of yourself in us, help us to see you better, and may our lives be conformed more to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we have been over the course of quite a while making our way uh, through the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, The series is called Growing Pains, and um, we are getting near to the end. Um, we have, we've been working through the, the second to last chapter, chapter 15, for the last two weeks. This will be our third week. And um, chapter 15 uh, may contain some of the most challenging topics, material that we've come across um, in the entire book, because uh, 
It deals with death. And specifically, it deals with how to live a life of hope given the reality of death. And um, I don't need to tell you that uh, death is a very difficult subject to deal with for all of us. Um, But it's also a very relevant one because it's an inescapable reality. Every one of us will deal with death are dealing with death right now or will at some point in the future. And, uh, and to a certain extent, we're, we're all kind of dealing with it right now with what we see on our TV screens going, going down in the Middle East and uh, just the horrors that are taking place there. Um, but closer to home, I'm also aware that for some of us here this morning, death is not an abstract issue. Um, just this past week, I spoke with several people on the phone who are part of our church family, and they're dealing, they're wrestling with some serious issues, health issues, and, and they're brushing up against this reality uh, in a very up-close and, and a very personal way. And so we just say it out front that, that that's hard. Um, dealing with death it's a challenge for every one of us, and it's sort of like dealing with the, um, the schoolyard bully or the bully on the block, right? And, you know, at some point, there is going to be a showdown, and you know that that showdown is not going to be pleasant, and, um, and so in light of that, I've observed basically kind of three different approaches, three different strategies for how many people choose to go about dealing with the reality of death. One is to deny, the second is to glorify, and the third is to defy. So, so some choose to, many I think, choose to simply deny the reality of death as long as you possibly can. And so you want to just stay out of the path of the bully as long as possible. Because you know once you cross paths, he's going to have his way with you. And so with this option, um, death becomes the elephant in the room. The subject no one talks about. Let's not talk about. Let's just avoid that subject until we're left with no other choice because the unspoken assumption is that in the end, death is going to have its way. So, so let's just not focus on it. Let's just, let's just wish it away for the time being because there's nothing we can do to change the reality of it anyway. That's the, the one option. Uh, deny the, the other option. Sometimes people go in the opposite direction and, and glorify death. And the idea is, why even bother resisting? It's, it's futile. Let's just go ahead, get on board with the bully, and get on with it, right? This is sort of like full-fledged fatalistic living or, you know, put on black, go gothic, embrace the morbidity of life. And, you know, there's a whole industry, right, built around idolizing death and, and glorifying gore. And particularly around this, this time of year, at the end of this month, at Halloween, for many, it's, it seems to have gone so far beyond just tricking and treating, right? You know, oh, dress up, go and knock on some doors and get some candy. Uh, now it's, it's about deifying death glorifying it. It's going out of the way to, to exalt it. And, um, and there is one other option, an option 
to choose from that's not denying it, it's not glorifying, it's, it's to stand up to the bully and defy death. And, and, and that's the option I want to unpack this morning, dealing with death as a defeated enemy. See, that is the exclusive way that the Christian life has been designed by God to be lived out. And there's a reason for that. There's only one reason for that. It's because the bully has been beat. That when Jesus rose, he landed the fatal blow to death. Now the bully is still walking around. He looks all tough. He talks smack. He's putting up a show for the moment, but his fate has been sealed. And Jesus rose so we can stand up to the bully and we can live a life that defies death. Now, what that doesn't mean in any way is that that makes death an easy issue to deal with. It's not. Um, But what it does mean is that it's possible to deal with death and still live with hope. And so in John eleven twenty five, 25, uh, this amazing episode, Jesus was weeping over the death of a dear friend of his, and even as he's doing that, he called the bully out. He said this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And after he said that, he turned to Martha, who was standing there watching, and he asked her what I believe to be the critical question of existence, the critical question of of what it takes to live a life of hope in the face of death. He asked her, do you believe this? That's, that's That's the defining issue. Do you believe who Jesus is and what he's done, that he is the resurrection and the life. The fatal blow got landed on the cross. Jesus went there willingly. The sinless Son of God laid down his life as the perfect sacrifice for our sins, for the sins of the world. And after lying dead in the grave for three days, he resurrected. Death could not hold him. The grave was unable to contain him. And the lifeless body of the Lord Jesus Christ physically rose back to life. And ever since that moment, that was the moment the bully was beat. And since then, because of his resurrection, those who believe in Christ can deal with death as a defeated foe. And that's what's before us. It's sort of like when you wring a sponge dry, right? It's, you wring it dry of everything. And when Jesus arose, every ounce of dread got wrung dry out of death, got drained out of death. And that's why if you believe, if you've placed your hope and your trust in Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life, then you can, you can defy death because the, the dread has been drained and the mold has been set and the rock-solid hope for every believer who's trusted in Christ is that what happened to him is also going to happen to all who are in him. That's where hope comes from. That means that just like Jesus, we're going to die, and and just like Jesus will be buried, and then just like Jesus, we will be resurrected back to life eternal. That's what it looks like to live a life of hope. And 
Over the past couple of weeks that we've been working through this, we've been very careful to note that this hope we have, it's beyond just having hope that our souls will go on after we die and they'll find their way in some kind of spiritual realm to some abstract form of existence, like, you know, floating around in the clouds and wings and arrows and strumming harps and that kind of thing, right? We, we need to get that picture out of our heads. Um, it's close to what the Corinthians had in mind. It's what they expected. And Paul in this passage is laying, he's laying it out. He's writing to assure them that what ultimately awaits those who have trusted in Jesus on the far side of the grave is more, not less. Don't think less, think more. More life not less life. And that means there's a physical life. There is a bodily future God's redeemed to have to look forward to, one that's greater, one that goes beyond anything we'll ever have or experience in the here and now. So so let's read about this, see what Paul says, and take a look at what a death-defying life looks like. He starts with this. He says, In in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35, it says, But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. So it starts out by changing our expectations. That's what Paul is doing here, from, from buried to maybe planted. And, and so there was this miscalculation the Corinthians were making that, that, that what comes out of the grave would be the same thing as what went into the grave. And if that's what we can expect, that is a pretty morose expectation, right? It's just, just imagine, this is what the Corinthians were struggling with. Are you telling me that dead corpses are going to come back to life after being rotted out for hundreds of years? That doesn't sound like something good. That sounds like a scene out of a horror movie. And, and, so, and so Paul's addressing that. He calls that out. He calls, he calls it a fool's claim. You know, a fool, according to Proverbs, is the person who claims in their heart that there is no God. A fool figures God out of the equation. And in this case, he says it's foolish to assume that the grave is beyond God's reach, that death somehow lies outside of God's dominion. He says, no, to the contrary, he says there's evidence of life coming out of death all around us. Every time a seed gets planted. This is what the process is like. You dig a hole, right? You bury the seed, you cover it with soil, and then through the process of germination, the shell breaks, the seed dies, but what comes out of the ground is far and away beyond what it was that went into it. That's, that's the point. What, what springs forth, that lies in a whole different category. It's kind of spectacular, isn't it, when you think about it? Right? Really, stop and think about it. Who would ever think that a, that a tiny seed could produce a giant tree? It's fascinating. 
And Paul's making that point. God has always been working in our world in amazing ways, bringing life out of death, and we call that a miracle, right? And it's seen there in the seed in our backyard right now. Our backyard is covered in acorns. I don't know if any of you have a similar backyard, but I am telling you the acorns are everywhere. So much so that I think if you get a running start, you might not even just touch the ground. You can kind of just skate and slide on acorns all the way across the backyard and get to the end of the property. And my wife keeps on telling me, you know what that means, Brian? Bumper crop of acorns means it's going to be a bad winter. And I said, no, it doesn't. I'm holding out. It's going to be another mild winter. The only thing it means is there's a lot of acorns. But actually, I, I, I went in the backyard and I grabbed one this morning. This is it. This tiny little nut. It's fascinating. Think about it. Contained right here in this small little shell of an acorn inside of it, everything, all of the elements are here for a towering oak tree to grow. Nothing else has to be added to it, just the right setting. And you know, everyone, every single person I know who plants an acorn expects a tree. No one plants an acorn and says, I'm waiting for the acorn to pop up, right? You expect what comes out is going to be far above and beyond what went in. And the point is that, you know, that it doesn't start till the seed's been planted, till it's been buried. And see, there's, there's some applications here that if, if you've believed, if you've placed your trust in Jesus, the resurrection and the life, that same expectation applies to you. The body that goes into the grave isn't going to be the same one that comes out at the resurrection. All right? What comes out is going to be far above and beyond, greater in every way, specifically suited for the new setting we'll find ourselves in. Paul's just laying it out, making the point. He keeps on going. He's, he's looking at nuts and seeds, and he turns to body types that we see in nature. He says this, but God gives it a body as he has chosen into each kind of seed, its own body, for not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish, and there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another There's one glory for the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for stars are different from stars, from from stars, from, sorry, differs from star in glory. And again, he's kind of just looking around and taking it all in, and he says, you can't help but notice how this amazing diversity God created our our world with, even when it comes down to body types, like, right, the, the body of a bird is different fundamentally from the body of a human and both are different from the body of a fish. And, and even when you look up in the sky at the stars, at the heavenly bodies, the, the planets and such, they're all different. That's the way God is. He's a creative God. And so he follows that same, same logic and he makes the point that at the resurrection, the bodies we're going to be given are going to be different from the ones that we're currently working with right now and 
just a little more than different. Same thing as the acorn to the oak. The bodies that we're going to one day rise with are going to be above and beyond in, in every way. Here's how he describes it. He says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable will be raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so shall we also bear the image of the man in heaven. All right, so this is getting at something, and you might like call this a hard truth. I, can I share a hard truth with you this morning? I need your permission. Um, okay, I got it. I heard yes. All right, here it is. You need a better body. I need a better body. We all need better bodies. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. How many of you um, have been made? It's it's eleven ten in the morning. It's couple, been up for a couple of hours. How many of you already know that your body has already made it abundantly clear that it just ain't getting the job done? <laughs> right? Aches, pains, coughs, sneezes, squints, sores, yawning, exhaustion. Amen. Amen. There you go. Right. Is getting at is that the old has to go in order for the new to come. Okay, and, and again, we're talking about a difficult subject, dealing with death. This is hard to comprehend and work through, so maybe, maybe this just helps a little bit. You see, from the moment we're born, our bodies start breaking down and wearing out, right? And, and it's true that some bodies wear out sooner and other bodies last longer. And this happens for all kinds of reasons. Some of the reasons we understand, some we really struggle to understand. We can't make sense of it all the time. But hear hear me out on this. The heart of the problem is not that some don't last as long as others. It's not that they don't last as long as we would like them to or we expect they should. The, The root issue is that none of them last. That's the problem. None of them are built to last. So go ahead and eat healthy. Go ahead and sweat it up and do your workout. Swallow those supplements. Go to the doctor, get that checkup. Paint on whatever face cream product you put on your face. (laughs) Do all that. You guys know me, I'm a, I'm a bit of a health nut. I like fitness and all that. But understand at the end of the day that none of that is going to solve the root problem. The problem is that these bodies we're working with, they're breaking down. But understand this as well, that if you have trusted in Christ, a better body has been promised. The ultimate upgrade is scheduled to arrive upon Jesus' return at the resurrection. And and the difference between what we have now and what we will have 
Again, it's the same thing. It's the difference between the acorn and the oak. And so we just read about it. Paul described it that these 1.0 bodies that we're currently working with, they're contrasted with the 2.0 bodies that we're going to rise with at the resurrection. And so here's a few of the contrasts. The ones we're working with now, he says they're perishable, right? Our, our bodies are like produce on the grocery store shelf. This is tr- they, they have expiration dates. The glorified 2.0 bodies, says they're imperishable. Did, did you hear that? An imperishable body built to last for eternity. The current bodies we have right now, it says they're, they're sown in dishonor. That, I think that's a really nice way of saying that beauty doesn't last, right? The older we get, the less impressive the bodies we look at in the mirror become, right? No one stays a specimen for very long, even Arnold. I just read Arnold this past week, I think. He's, he admitted that when he looks at himself in the mirror, he says, ah, I'm flobby, I'm weak, <laughs> he's old. And it's not just him, it's us. But the glorified bodies will be given at the resurrection Paul describes them not as sown in dishonor, but as honorable, glorious. That means stunning in a way that the most impressive body you've ever laid eyes on in this current life can't come close to comparing. And there's even better news because add to that, thank God vanity is going to be taken out of the picture. And so there, all there is left is just celebration. It says, what is sown in weakness will be raised in power. Yeah, you know, the bodies we're in right now, they're not strong enough. They're not as strong as they need to be. And I know this might contradict with some of these positive self-talk sayings that we love to throw around. Like, if, if you just declare it, I am strong, then you are. Good on you. (laughs) Question for you is that, how long is that line going to work for you? That line has got a shelf life, right? If you live long enough, the day will eventually arrive when you wake up, you eat breakfast, and you're so exhausted you're going to go in for a nap. Some of you are, are there right now, and all I'm asking is, please, if at all possible, take the nap after we finish here this morning. <laughs> at least wait till we get back home. But the hope is that it's not going to be that way forever. At the resurrection, the glorified bodies will be raised with, we'll have all the strength we need and more. It's at the resurrection. That's, that's when the promise from one of my favorite verses, Isaiah 40, will be fulfilled. Those who wait upon the Lord will walk and not grow weary. They'll run and not grow faint. At the moment, God gives us right now, he gives us sufficient strength, right? So we can accomplish the purposes he's put before us. On that day, we're going to have surpassing strength surpassing strength. That is something 
the greatest, the, the greatest Olympian in history up to this point has, knows nothing about. One, one last contrast worth pointing out. It's the contrast between the natural bodies we have now and what Paul says are the supernatural bodies that we'll have. He says, what's sown a natural body will be raised a spiritual body. And just point out that spiritual doesn't mean non-physical. It means supernatural. And, and we, don't, we don't specifically know what's involved with that, but, but we read the passage makes the point that our bodies are going to be patterned after the last Adam, after the resurrected Jesus, our Savior. And we do know some things about Jesus and how he operated with his resurrected body. Uh, if you remember any of them, there was that one time where after the resurrection, he, he walked through a wall to be with his disciples in a room, right? Or, or he was walking on the Emmaus Road with the disciples again, and they turned and he was gone. He, he vanished in a split second. So I don't know about you, but I'm not counting any of that out. Jesus ascended into the sky, and to me, I think flying is a distinct possibility. Who, who knows? Some of it you can laugh about, but some of it is just... What we have to look forward to is above and beyond. And, you know, all these superhero stories that are so popular now, I don't, I, lo- I don't know. Some people hate them. I am a sucker for a good superhero story. I love them. But I think if they show us anything, it's that what we need for the things that we have to deal with in the world that we're in, we just don't have it. We need more. We need more strength. We need more ability. And I think all of that just points to this is what awaits the redeemed at the resurrection. And maybe the most beautiful thing is that when we are raised at the resurrection and we see Jesus for who he is, we will be like him. And so it'll be the end of struggling with godliness, right? I'll no longer have to say the thing I want to do, I cannot do, and the thing I don't want to do, I do. That's, it's going to be in the past. That's, that's what we have to look forward to. Don't lose sight of what you have to look forward to. Living a life that defies death, it involves setting our sights on the right prize, And that means setting our sights on more. Do not settle for less. See, if Jesus' grave is empty, that means you have more to hope for than having your health. I mean, if you have your health, it's a good thing. But if you don't, it's not the end of the world. You have more to hope for than, well, I sure hope I make it to 80. Then I'll have lived a good life. Don't settle for that. Success can never be defined defined as setting our hope on anything about this corruptible body that we're now working with. Making it last as long as it can before it finally just wears out. It's going to happen. We've got to steward it, right? We've got to take care of it for sure. But the goal, the prize is living out eternity in an incorruptible, glorified 2.0 body. Set your sights on that, on the update, the unbreakable body that you'll rise with 
at the resurrection. On resurrection day, and the passage points out that that day is coming. We, we don't know when it will be, but we know that it will be. And, and Paul in this passage shows us what it looks like to, to live a life that defies death by intentionally anticipating that day in advance. Here's what he says. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Question for you. When's the last time you set aside just a little bit of time, maybe like 10 minutes out of your schedule, just to sit down and contemplate the second coming? Like, just to rehearse Jesus' return, our resurrection, let the reality of it fill your mind. What is that day going to be like? That's... That's what Paul wants us to do in this passage. I want to challenge you to do that in this week. You know, Christians sometimes have been accused of being so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. And that can happen. That has happened. For sure, it's a concern. But it's also true that that until our minds are fixed on heaven and we have that right perspective, we can't be of any good because we're out of touch. And in reality, here's the good news, it's not one or the other, it's both and, because heaven is ultimately, it's not up there, it's coming here, right? When we think of heaven, don't ultimately think of just clouds and up there, it's, it's a new heaven, a new earth, it's coming here. Uh, Revelation makes it clear that the dwelling place of God will again be with man, that's the future we have to look forward to. It's physical. It's actual. It's everything we have now, but above and beyond better. And so Paul, in this passage, he paints a really vivid picture to capture our hearts and our minds. This is what it's going to be like. So we can anticipate it. So, so we can live out our lives longing for that day. So one of the things he points out is this, not everyone is going to be asleep on that day. Uh, asleep, we said it before, I think, but it, that's Paul's intentional way of talking about those who are in Christ, who have put their faith in Christ and, and have died. He says their bodies are, are asleep. Now, now, we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, so the The moment of death marks the first moment with Jesus in spirit. And we're not entirely sure what that's going to be like. But what we do know is that on resurrection day, that's a day when spirit and body are reunited, brought back together. And until that day, though, get it straight, make no mistake, the dead in Christ 
They may not be with us, but we haven't lost them, right? Let's, let's, let's speak and describe the situation accurately. We, we miss them, but we know exactly where they are. And they haven't passed away. That would be an inaccurate way to describe it. They've passed on. They're, they're resting in peace. They're out of reach for the moment, but that's, that's temporary because their bodies are going to wake up and we're going to see them again because Resurrection Day is going to be Reunion Day. And you've got people in your hearts and minds that you can't wait to see again who've trusted in Christ. This is the beauty of the resurrection, the hope that those that we miss so much because we have Jesus in common will spend eternity with them. It also says, on that day, everything will be changed in an instant. In the interval of an eye blank. We've been reminded just this past week or so that things can change real quick, right? Typically, when we see things change real quick, they go from bad to really bad. But this is a different kind of drastic difference that will take shape on the course of of our world, Um, and this difference is not going to just be different. It's going to be better. It's going to be above and beyond, and there's this wake-up call that's going to sound. It comes in the form of this trumpet blast, which it's kind of like this is the heavenly alarm clock that no one is going to sleep through. If you have a hard time waking up to your alarm clock, this alarm clock, this trumpet blast is so obnoxiously loud that it literally wakes up the dead. Wakes up the dead. That's, that's what's going to happen on that day. And, and one other important detail about that day. This one's about death. Right? We haven't forgotten about him. He's the bully on the block. The one that Jesus defeated when he rose from the grave. Resurrection day is death's last day. Resurrection day is the day when death goes from defeated to destroyed. From that day forward, listen to this, death will never again be an issue for anyone. Never again will it be something that anyone has to deal with, worry about, or spend any time even thinking about for half a second. On that day, our greatest enemy becomes extinct. He joins the ranks of the dinosaurs as a past relic of ancient history. That's what's going to happen on that day. It's going to be a good day. And it's not a matter of if that day is coming. Why do we know that? How do we know this is just not pie in the sky? Because Jesus raised Jesus raised, that's our assurance. It's just a matter of when. And so in light of that reality, in defiance of death, here's what the passage calls us to do until then, right now, as we remember, as we anticipate, calls us to celebrate the defeat of death right now. Here's here's what Paul says. He calls that, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? 
The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is, um, I guess you could call that some serious smack talk. That's the best way to actually describe that. Paul is deriding death. And so if this were a football game, right, he would be flagrant foul called on it, unsportsmanlike conduct. That's what he's doing. He is laying out some serious smack talk against the enemy who's threatening him. He's taunting the bully. If I could paraphrase, he's, death, you ain't got nothing on me. Death, you are all buzz and no bite. You're like a bee without a sting because that stinger you had already landed in Jesus. He took it and you've got nothing left to give. And you know what a bee without a stinger is? It's a fly with a nice yellow stripe. That's it. (laughs) See, there is nothing that death can do that Jesus can't undo and make even better. That is what I call some sanctified smack talk. And it is entirely appropriate. Do it often. Sometimes we need to directly defy the bully. And ultimately, really, you know when that takes shape? It takes the form of unshakable hope at the grave. See, here's what it boils down to. We need more than a dying wish. We need dying hope. And that's what Jesus gives. Uh, I remember several years back hearing this story that broke my heart about this young boy. I think it was an eight-year-old boy. He was a big Star Wars fan, and he had a fatal illness, and he was in the hospital. He had a few days to live. And the new Star Wars movie was coming out in like another two weeks, but they they made some arrangements with the directors and the producers and such, and they had this movie into his hotel room, and he was the first person to see whatever it was, the new Star Wars movie. I don't know what it was. And, and a day or two later, he died, and it was like all over the headlines. What a great, noble thing to be able to give this guy his, his last dying wish. And it broke my heart. It broke my heart. I was a combination of so sad and angry at the same time to think that's that's it. He he needed more than a dying wish. He needed dying hope. We all need that. And for if you've if you're if you're new in the faith, you've never had the chance, the opportunity to to be at a Redeemed Christ followers funeral. You are missing. You have to. You have to see it. There is this combination of sadness, of grief, of joy, but it's all mixed together with heaping doses of hope. Hope, real hope, steadfast hope. Because there's this confidence. It is not goodbye forever. It is goodbye for now, and we will see each other soon. First Corinthians 4.13 talks about it. It says Christians grieve, but we grieve in a way unlike the rest of the world because of Jesus. We do not grieve as those who have no hope. And that's what we need. 
So if you have a dying wish, great. If you have a bucket list, great. But do you have a dying hope? Do not leave here this morning without a dying hope. It's found in Jesus. He is the resurrection. He is the life. Open up your heart to him. Trust in him because he's the only one who gives it. It's not found anywhere else. There's, there's one last verse. Um, it's actually, believe it or not, everything we've looked at up to this point, it's all been information. And there's one verse of application. This is it. Therefore, in light of everything we've just read, everything we've been updated about, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You see, you see how this works its way out into everyday life? Because Jesus has rose. Because we can be confident of his return. In light of our upcoming resurrection and the hope that we have right now, there is absolutely zero reason in the galaxy to be found for doing anything but living full gas, no holding back for Jesus right now in every way. There is simply no other way to live that makes sense. And so you could ask, well, well, what if it costs me something? What if I have to suffer? What if, what if I die? What have you lost? Nothing. What will you gain? Everything. I, I love this quote from Jim Elliott. Uh, if you know Jim Elliott's story, he went with his wife and they went to, um, to be missionaries in this tribe and never heard the gospel. And, uh, and he was killed. He was killed by them. And, but before, he, before that happened, he wrote in his diary, he is no fool who loses what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And he lived that out. And what's fascinating is his wife and the others he were, they were with, they, they stayed there. And the tribe, miraculously, many of them came to Christ. Like this amazing work of God took place. And can you just imagine what is it going to be like for Jim Elliot on the resurrection day? Yeah, I lost my life, but look at what was gained. And look at what all that's happened as a result. It isn't that in just the utter contrast to what we see going on in our world around us, where in the name of religion, people say that. I'll take your life for my God. But you see, Christianity is the opposite. I'll give my life. I'll suffer. I'll lay down my life. I will love the Lord even unto death because in the end it costs me nothing. 